64th episode of the Opvac cast, and this is a very special episode. Uh, not not the type we normally have to have, but we had to call an emergency podcast recording. It is the evening before the holy holiday of Easter, and uh, really this is the kind of situation where I feel like if, if Jesus was here now, he would actually crawl back into the tomb and roll the stone back. With me today, I've got Jake Trapila. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> So you have a beautiful voice, Jake. Thank you. I've hidden an Easter egg in this <laughs> podcast, and I want you to find it by the end of the show, Steve. Oh, look at that. Yeah, we're going to put Easter eggs all over the show. So, um, you know, just just look for, um, you know, the, the Noid <laughs> and Super Mario. I'm not, I'm not going to talk like that. How no. are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, man. This is episode 64. Uh, do you remember the Nintendo 64, Jake? Do I remember? I'm looking at one right now. Oh my god! It's like it, it, you know that's and that's all we need. We're actually I'm just going to spend this entire episode asking you if you remember things. Yeah, yeah. Jake's Jake's actually got it on his mantle. He's built a fucking shrine to it, like uh, everyone else in America. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird because when people engage in like nerdy pop culture nostalgia, it's it's almost like talking to someone in in, in like a convalescent home. You're just like, do you remember this? Do you remember your daughter? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm, I've been better, to be honest. I, I mean, this well, is yeah. it's been a, it's been a rough weekend. I mean, I've had a great weekend, but uh, really, anything that I've watched has made me want to die. So that's been good. Uh, Myros yeah. is here too. Yeah, wasn't such a good Friday, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not. And, and part part of my Friday, uh, or actually my Saturday. Sad Saturday was because of your ass, because you're like, oh, but, you know, out of all the things that you could watch for a podcast, make sure you watch this one, Steve. And I did. And I've pretty much lost the will to live. Um, well, Steve, you know, Mel Gibson tried to faithfully recreate uh, Christ's crucifixion for the audience to absorb. And, uh, you know, I was I was just endeavoring to do the same. Uh, thank you. I, I do feel crucified you know, right now. Speaking of this, I spent uh, this evening with my parents, like a good Christian boy, mm-hmm. uh, and my mom said that she had rented Passion of the Christ. Oh, just and, a little passion uh, party. Yeah. Uh, which, speaking of, we're in sort of a uh, like a renaissance of of uh, Christian movies at the, at the at the box office. Um, oh, new God's been, not dead, man. Well, there's there's been uh, four releases, like four weeks in a row. There's been a Christian movie release. Whoa, um, yeah, that's some Caviezel thing that uh, this planet. Yeah, Apostle Apostle. Paul or something, but um, but yeah, and one of them, uh, I can only imagine. I think was that like number three. I found this out from my dad. Was that number three for three weeks in a row, or two weeks in a row, or something? Um, but my mom was talking about Passion of the Christ, and she said, uh, she's like, yeah, um, ah, you know, it's uh, it's rough. I said, yeah, I'm not sure I want to see Jesus, you know, uh, getting beat up again. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I at least want to watch the beginning. <laughs> I, think, I think Sean's uh, parents are the only uh, Midwesterners over the age of 40 who do not own a copy of Passion of Christ. <laughs> for yeah, that's true. Viewing. 
I don't know how anyone can watch that. It's, I mean, what's the difference between like Snuff and Passion of the Christ, or what's the difference between Eli Roth's Hostel and and Passion of the Christ? Uh, you know, I could think of uh, a few movies I, I would much rather uh, cast aside than Passion. I'd, I'd watch Passion all fucking weekend rather than what I watched. <laughs> that's true. That's I know. True. I know. Uh, I know the uh, difference between snuff films and the Passion of the Christ. Oh, what's that? Snuff films are real. Yeah, that's oh. so. Look out! It's Atheist Jake and his hot takes. Check out his YouTube channel. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Jake Theist. Welcome to my new program. We're going to talk Jake about how God Theist. is not real. <laughs> ring ring. Netflix is calling. They're looking for a Jake Trapila. <laughs> That's right. Fuck your God. This is good. Oh, my God. When is your, like, five-hour-long Google Hangout session with Jordan Peterson going to start? Really, yes, really into that. get the funding. Mm. I am not very popular <laughs> online. <laughs> Atheist. Holy shit. Oh, we're going to have to save that one. That's that's the new reoccurring character. Uh, yeah, yeah, so in, in case anyone's wondering, holy shit, we all went and saw Ready Player One, the super-duper blockbuster film directed by none other than steven spielberg and uh written by a man who i can only assume is the spawn of satan ernest klein <laughs> yeah it turns out i wasn't ready no i did no i was not ready I don't, I don't think i should be player one i'm gonna abstain from playing <laughs> if, if asked yeah. to again I, yeah when i had um uh do you remember uh yeah snes super nintendo yes do, do you remember that steve i i do i do recall that sean um, that, uh, there was an adapter you could get. Um, I mean, I'm sure this was not exclusive to the system, but this was my first exposure to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an adapter that was like sort of a boomerang okay. uh, for, con- for controllers. Yeah, the multi-tap. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. And, and you could, I think, I can't remember how many you could fit on it, uh, either four or eight, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want to say eight. Uh, and if so, I think, um, think I'll be ready player eight. Yeah, so the, guys, we were talking off air about uh, Vincent Gallo recently. Remember him? Uh, <laughs> I do remember. So, so this guy, you know, we gave him a lot of flack. Just wondered uh, where he'd gone. But the, one of his last major public uh, public stunts, if you will, was selling vials of his own semen uh, online. You're, you're I, missing. You're missing a detail here. He 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 sold uh, vials of his semen online to. Whites only. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this movie's also for whites only, I'd say. So that it all still fits. Yeah. Um, I, I think we should give Gallo some more credit, perhaps, because at least he had the courtesy to like preserve this semen. <laughs> uh, it was potent, <laughs> presumably, as opposed to uh, what, what we've just witnessed. Steven Spielberg, uh, he's selling uh, his crusted dead sperm uh, mm-hmm. for the world. <laughs> Yeah, it, this summer there is. Yeah, it's like um, uh, Ren and Stimpy, the creator who is also in the news. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's an episode where who was who was the bigger one? Stimpy. Stimpy. Yeah, Stimpy. He he pre- he remember would preserve. <laughs> I remember him. Oh he, man, he would preserve all his toothpaste, all his toothpaste spit. <laughs> In this episode, I mean, this is not far. Like, it's not hard to imagine this happening in an episode, um, and like to the where he would open like the mirror, the uh, medicine cabinet, and in one episode, and showed Ren like all of his files of <laughs> really crusty toothpaste. Mm. Um, 
that's the image that I, that I, that comes to mind when you say that, and what, what came to mind when I watched Ready Player One. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. So, Myros, for anyone who hasn't seen Ready Player One yet, don't. Well, okay, one, one don't. But what what exactly is Ready Player One? Uh, I I don't <laughs> I don't know. Mm. It's 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 terrifying. It's yeah. the end of of Western uh, culture. I think. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's late capitalism vomiting on your face. Yeah, it's a movie wherein Ernest Cline has envisioned a society. He envisions a society in which uh, the entire culture is built around. Uh, worshiping him and his interests as a deity and then hollywood paid him like presumably millions of dollars for this great idea and fucking made a day glow pile of ass uh that that could be viewed for the low low price of of ten dollars at your local multiplex yeah okay so ready player one is just like in general it's most basic level it's your standard issue Hero quest nonsense. So there's a kid and he's poor, but he's good at a thing, and uh, you know, so he's got to save the girl, save the world, and and defeat the bad guys. Really, really simple stuff. And the difference here is, is, is like two things. One, this uh, the the movie, most of the movie, probably like eighty percent of the movie, takes place inside of the Oasis, which is this virtual reality video game, which is like I don't know, Second Life or some shit, basically. And uh, uh, so you you have everything happening inside of this video game. And the other thing is, is it's the future and the world has pretty much fallen apart and is a complete fucking mess. So everyone uses the Oasis to escape the real problems of the world. That's the setup. Uh, and, and so you have these people who have no interest in actually making the world they live in a better place and instead... Uh, just go into this virtual reality world to jerk off to pop culture from 1985 when it's like 2045. So uh, just just to put this in perspective, this would be like me logging onto World of Warcraft and like jerking off over like fucking like newsies or how cool World War One was. It, it doesn't really make any sense from a pop culture standpoint to me. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't they be interested in things from like the recent past? Yeah, no, I was totally perplexed by it watching it, but I I only found out later that it, it is literally that the author made the inventor of this virtual reality program his exact age so that when the world invariably became obsessed with him and his interests that they would reflect the author's own, which is really fucking disgusting. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, so the thing is, it's not that they're... The Denzians of the Oasis are obsessed with pop culture. They're obsessed with the creator's pop culture from when he was a youngin. But it makes it makes no sense on any level. There's no reason why a kid born in the year 2025 or whatever, why his favorite movie would be Buckaroo Banzai and his adventures across the eighth dimension. Yeah, that's probably not even available on Blu-ray for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, okay, so uh, the other thing with this, too, is uh, I, the only explanation I could think of is they're obsessed with the creator's pop culture um, because, one, Ernest Cline, the actual author and screenwriter who sort of, I- I'm guessing he's envisioning himself as the creator in this book and film, 
uh, yes. is is a pile of shit. So he likes to you know jerk off over the things he likes. And sure, yeah, of course. The other thing is is because they have this contest. So and, and this is what kind of thrusts the narrative forward is the the creator guy who looks like Garth dies. <laughs> we called him we called him Garth Jobs. Garth Jobs, yeah. So yeah. Gar- Garth Jobs dies or whatever, and then he says, "Okay, I, I hid three secret Easter eggs, or these three keys inside of my game, and whoever finds them gets control of the Oasis." Okay, sure. Yeah, it, I guess that's the the like impetus for making this significant to the culture. Like, yeah, we're researching to try and gain control, but yeah, even the introduction of the film is like, well, nobody gives a shit about the contest anymore. Yeah, yeah, they they immediately <laughs> spell that out. It's like, nope, no one cares. We all gave up after a year or something, and then it's like, what? So why is everyone still obsessed with the pop culture then? That doesn't make yeah, any <laughs> doesn't make any sense no. at all. Uh, but also, is like if you're like some nerdy Atari asshole, like half these things would not be things you'd be obsessed with. Fucking Van Halen and and Bigfoot the monster truck. I, I don't yeah, I don't so. get that. <laughs> no, and, and that's what this is. There's no, there's no actual culture here. It's just it's vomit. It's just everything that was remotely popular between 1980 and 1990 just being spewed forth. And, and and we're expected to think, oh, this creator guy is obsessed with all of the things. And it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any I mean, sense. We're getting into uh, we're getting into uh, some fine details quickly. Uh, and I just want to say I just want to like preface all this with um, like you guys are talking about sort of ideology or plot machinations. And uh, this movie looks like garbage. This is <laughs> it. Does, it looks like I, shit. It took my brain and like metabolized it into like pill form, and I, I like it, I couldn't I couldn't do anything. It paralyzed my eyes, <laughs> and I just sat there like watching stuff glaze past me, and like there's no sense of like camera move. I I I, I don't understand people. I saw like comments uh, or like reviews, literal reviews that people sat down to write. There was like visually stunning it, it, I, it, you can't, this is this I is insane it, I guess it depends insane. on the context you use the word stunning I guess I was stunned <laughs> yeah stunningly inept <laughs> stunned yeah, yeah. that Spielberg like did this visually yeah. thrilling like all that type of like uh, superlatives and it's just like it's just like it's it's like uh, it's like the whole movie the, the, the what it's like to watch this movie is like somebody um, no, it, it's like somebody put in Steven Spielberg put in a, a game uh, that he made, and you were like, "Oh, sweet, I get to like play this or something." He's like, uh, "No, actually, let's just let it go on demo mode for two and a half hours." <laughs> That's pretty much uh, it. I don't. It wouldn't even be like a particularly uh, high-end video game at, the, at this stage. The way it looks, it's, it's like Sega Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like to remember me, that. If you're, yeah, I remember. I remember. <laughs> I also remember. Jake, do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do remember. That's good. That's good. Uh, we should have got some Sonic Adventure in here. Where mm. was, I'm, where I'm was not the Sonic sure. Adventure? Yeah, remember all that? Oh, wait. No, we can't remember that. That's from a different brand. Uh, <laughs> let's find something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the only solace to be taken here is that this was not made by Disney, so it, it could have been much worse with the references. That's true. That is true. Um, 
Yeah, uh, this, uh, man, I don't even know. Like, uh, it was paralyzing to me as well, but on, on a different level. I almost don't give a, a shit about the visuals, but um, the visuals were extremely misguided to me. Like, it, it seems like if you're going to do this film, wouldn't you make it sort of a, a Matrix-style, like, hyper-reality? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you're going to use computer graphics for outlandish things that couldn't really exist in our world, but it should be fairly photorealistic and immersive, I would think. But yeah, no, it, it looks like it looks like Avatar, but with like Vaseline smeared over it. That's it looks like <laughs> fucking Delgo in Tron Legacy. And if you don't know what Delgo is, just Google it and you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, but God. at least Tron Legacy looks fucking great. This is this is garbage. Yeah, this is totally garbage. Yeah, it looks you know like trash. You know what else looks really bad aesthetically? <clears throat> um, uh, 15 million merits. Uh, because there's like something there. I mean, it's like sort of an aesthetic that's achieved. Um, and this this would make an astounding juxtaposition. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, that doesn't quite have the budget of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I, I gotta, I gotta wonder no, but too. I, but I do. I, I, sorry, I, I don't. I, I bring up the visuals because one, it, it can't like communicate anything to me. Like, I, it couldn't communicate any sort of like stability in any sort of like point of view. It's just always swirling around, and um, I, it, it, that. So that was a disconnect. That was like a, a thorough and immediate disconnect that that didn't even allow me to come in at other moments after being lost mm-hmm. uh it was just this continual disconnect yeah and i you know maybe it does make sense because it's visually hideous and boring uh, i mean and that's the thing even when it, it's looking fine it's boring it's just <laughs> there's there's no interesting camera movements everything is sort of flat and muted and there's nothing visually interesting going on but then again you have to remember that this is taking place in a horrifying dystopian future that the movie doesn't think is particularly dystopian, where the world is falling apart, everyone is immersed in this virtual reality world to escape the real world, and on top of that, all art and culture is dead. There is no art and culture. There is only looking backwards and, and just my, and, and deifying this fucking, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs motherfucker, and just jerking off over whatever he was into for the sole purpose of becoming a trillionaire. And that's it. There's, there's literally like right. no one values actual art or culture or anything. Yeah, anything. This, this is, is like the most, the most madness. And again, we're gonna get into like why this movie is evil incarnate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, be, uh, just on a plot level, like you are making this because your only fucking source of reference is like sucking George Lucas's dick. Uh, you're of course making a hero's journey film, and. If you're gonna set a hero's journey film in this world, it's you shut off this fucking you shut off this computer program. It's about fucking saving reality, not saving your fucking your game. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just an illogical yeah. direction to go with this this film. And and when they set up this again in the intro, it's like oh the the possibilities in the oasis are limitless they're the only limit is your imagination it's like well that what the fuck does that say about the filmmakers and and this society as a whole (laughs) when when nothing is imagined in this world it it is all 100 percent created from 
the past, the, the other people's imaginary creations. It, it, it's it's well, just horrifying. I, it's funny that you were talking about sort of the misguided nature of uh, of the concept. Um, Tucker Stone, uh, one of the one of the one of the hosts of the Travis Bickle on the Riviera, had a tweet saying that the message was that everything will be okay and you won't be poor or lonely if you just stop playing video games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Oh yeah, boy, we'll, we'll get into that. Jesus Christ, that fucking ending! My God, what a <laughs> yeah, that's that's something. So yeah, this this entire movie is just it's appalling. And and let's talk about the framework. Okay, sure, sure. Go for it. Uh, uh, well, one of the things that I, I really wanted to talk <laughs> go for it. By, by let's talk about it. Steve, just, just talk about it. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is just how uh, the narrative itself is super, super simple. And getting in line with this movie's whole philosophy and presumably Ernest Klein's, uh, you know, favorite pastime, which is staring into a mirror and jerking off on himself. Uh, there is not like nothing about this plot is original. This is like the kind of things there's like a meme from literally 10 years ago and it still gets passed around every once in a while, but it's a screen cap from a message board and it's some like nerdy video game message board and some guys like game master 69 or something. And he's just like, Hey guys, it's my 29th birthday. You know, it'd be the best present. If all the game characters from all my favorite games showed up, there's Sonic in the corner with a birthday cake. You know, there's, uh, you know, fucking M. Bison, and he's patting me on the back. Like, that's that's the, the, the post. It's just this horribly embarrassing kind of sad thing. And that's how this movie sort of, uh, you know, it, it, that's how it exists. It's it's like there's there's nothing even remotely original in, in how it's structured or how it's uh, how it was conceived. So in 1984, appropriate, because uh, that's the only time frame that Ernest Klein gives a fuck about, uh, there's a movie called The Last Starfighter. Tell me if this sounds familiar. A kid who lives in a trailer park uh, becomes very good at a video game, and it turns out the video game is a training ground for an actual like intergalactic space force uh, which recruits him to fight against evil aliens, and so he does. Does that does that sound a little, little familiar? Uh, it, it also uh, takes liberally from Ender's Game, which is a shitty Christian sci-fi novel written by Orson Scott Card <laughs> that sold like a gazillion copies. And if you've read that book or if you've seen that movie, uh, they both suck. Uh, it, it's some guy. It's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you, or you dated some guy who. Do, oh, have you read Ender's Game? Because uh, you know Orson Scott Card. Well, I don't agree with his politics. <laughs> no, fuck that shit. Uh, it, it's the same thing. It's it's about a kid who is in this like video game training simulation, and it turns out that he's a military tactical genius, and so they use him to uh, fight against evil aliens or whatever. It's the same shit. There's there's nothing original. There's not a single original thought in this movie. And so all they do is they set up the last Starfighter, they kind of blow it up a little bit, and then from that point on, it's it's just moving from point A to point B with zero character development whatsoever. And people literally when we when we say there's lots of little like hidden like easter eggs and references and stuff it's not like oh look a video game character i recognize because there's that too but there's literally moments where people stop and they go yes my favorite song is jump by van halen also i would like to tell you that my favorite movie is buckaroo bonsai isn't it cool that i enjoy driving a delorean like that's that's what this movie is it's literally just name dropping 
for fucking oh. ever. It's a nine-hour-long yeah, movie, I think. It's that, very long. That, that scene where, uh, <laughs> where Parzival and Artemis, where they meet for the first time, and they're like going back and forth, like, what's your favorite first-person shooter? GoldenEye 64. What's your favorite game mode? Slappers Only. It's where you don't have guns. And she's like, I know what Slappers Only is, you dipshit. And yeah, it's it's everyone is just name drop. If there's not a visual reference on the screen, it's people calling out shit. And then sometimes yeah. there's both. Sometimes you get to see it called out in front of you as it's happening. Yeah. Like fucking Chucky. <clears throat> sure, sure. Yeah, there's there's yeah, a scene there's... where for no reason at all, they're they're having this big giant battle at the end, and someone is like Hey, buddy, use this. Someone said you should use this to do stuff. And they just hand him a Chucky doll, and Chucky's like, Meh! and then he just throws the Chucky doll, and it murders people. And it's like, the fuck purpose did this serve? Yeah, you, big you, fucking war. They throw a goddamn doll with a knife. So, yeah, that's what you need. Jesus Christ. It doesn't even have to make uh, an ounce of sense. No. So also that golden... Again... Now, now look what this movie is making me do. Fucking video game pedantry bullshit. It's like <laughs> Halliday's favorite game is, is fucking Goldeneye. And they're like, but who does he play with? It's like odd job. It's like, well, ask anyone who knows anything about fucking video games. I don't think that's acceptable. No, so that's cheating. Odd job? That's like cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> The, yeah, the, the fucking creator of the Oasis is a cheating ass bitch if he uses odd job, okay? And I bet he's like, oh yeah, uh, you should use Jaws. Uh, here's a really good character. And then he fucks over some guy and feels really good about it. You know, there I- is a. The, uh, the experience of seeing this movie in the theater, in a place where, where you know, uh, etiquette is that you don't look at anything, uh, you know, your phone or anything like that, or you can't walk to the fridge. Was excruciating, excruciating, and I I, I left uh, I left with like forty minutes left to uh, take a leak as uh, parlance of our times, uh, <laughs> and I, I I was like in the bathroom after I got done peeing and I was like just looking at my phone and just like checking emails or whatever and I was just like. Well, I guess I should go back. <laughs> and I went back in, and I could see, like, Myros, like, lit up from the screen. <laughs> and he was, like, it was, like, that character in Airplane <laughs> that that the pilot is, like, telling his story to. <laughs> he's tossing himself in gasoline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like finding new ways to like commit suicide on the plane. Oh. Uh, it, and, and I sat down, and I was like, "Can't like like it, I mean, we had been talking throughout the movie, but but I, I sat down and I was like, "Can we just go?" Like he, he was, I was like, "He's like, oh, it's almost done." I was like, "There's 40 minutes left." I was like, no, he's like, no, he's like, no. I was like. All right. <laughs> I, I, to be fair, know, there's there's really no second act. It's just like there's a first act, and then the third act is like two hours long. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and and I suppose like it's one of those things where like I I should have left uh, for the sake of the pot. I'm glad that that we stayed because holy hell, the ending was yeah. Something. Oh man, what I just doozy. remember T.J. Miller is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is. Uh, yeah, he is. It's interesting, too, because I saw, uh, I guess it was last year or earlier this year, I saw the Emoji movie, and it's odd to me that 
people, you know, the Emoji Movie was panned across the board for uh, basically being a soulless corporate product placement pile of shit uh, that was poorly acted and just visually uninteresting. And all the things that are true about Ready Player One, Ready Player One is the exact same movie, but for fuckboy adults. Like, that's it. This is this made is by, made by uh, uh, American uh, uh, cinema auteur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. it. There's there's very little difference between Ready Player One and the Emoji Movie. Basically none. And yeah. you've got uh, even the product placement here is fucking horrible. Think about this for a second. So, in addition to all the the video game and pop culture callouts, we're like, look at the thing, which is in terms of of what you're adding to your film and how the audience is responding to this. And there are people in my theater that were lapping it up. This is like when I take the laser pointer and put it in front of my cat, and he just like mindlessly chases it. That's what this is. There's no substance to it at all. I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, go ahead, Jake. I was yeah, I was in a similar situation. I was sitting in a pack house full of cheering idiots, uh, and just all around me, I could just see out of the corner of my eye people like pointing to the screen at blinking. You miss the cameos from their favorite moments. And it's like uh, they're pointing them out, but it's not like their friends next to them are watching a different movie. Everyone can see what's on the screen. And if you're pointing at something, nobody's going to see it from your perspective. So don't point at screens, people. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> and I had a I had a similar uh, situation to Sean where um, the mo- my show started at like 640 at night. There was about 20 minutes of previews, which is ungodly. And uh, and 20 minutes into the movie, I texted you guys in our, our chat. I said, hey, guys, this is the worst thing uh, Spielberg's ever done. Um, and then some time goes by, and right as, like, both forces start running at each other to for the climactic battle, the girl in front of me pulled out her phone to start texting, and I could see the clock on the home screen, and it said 840. And I said, how the fuck does this movie have 40 minutes left? <laughs> it's ungodly. It's, it's a, horrible. The, uh, speaking to what you were saying, Steve, about sort of like this laser pointer thing uh, concept, uh, there's there's this little – there's this short paragraph that I want to read. Um, one of two – the first of two things that I'll read on this podcast tonight. Um, <laughs> this is an excerpt from an essay uh, by Jonathan Rosenbaum uh, from 1988 uh, uh, that appears in his book, Movies and Politics. And it says, as American movies and political candidates get progressively worse, the talent for marketing them steadily increases. Yet on the whole, the promotion of movies has been more successful than the promotion of politicians. In its current state-of-the-art phase, the former consists not only of luring people into theaters, but also of convincing them afterwards that the experience is worthwhile. This has been facilitated over the past year, several years by the media's willingness to furnish big releases with unprecedented free advertising to bolster the studio's own lavish campaigns. Um, this this idea of using brand equity to mm-hmm. hypnotize people or to convince people that 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 what they're watching is like meaningful. Um, it, it, I it couldn't stop thinking about this this phrase when when seeing Ready Player One. Um, because that's 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 what it is. It's just like, well, you know, it, yeah, it, it it must have been good. Um, I enjoyed all those parts throughout, um, and it, it made me think of something else too. Like just thinking about marketing and movies. Um, I walked into the theater and I saw that uh, when I bought my ticket that they had one of those Ready Player One cups that you could get at the concession stand. Ooh. Um, yeah, uh, and I'm sure that uh, we all um, we all. 
probably had experiences with these as kids in different movies, whether it's like Last Action Hero or Batman was a big one, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, you know, you could get this cup and, and it's a sort of a keepsake. <clears throat> yeah. um, and uh, that was like sort of when ancillary products were getting big, like Batman and all that stuff. Um, and it, it, it's I was thinking about it afterwards. I was thinking about it today about how like how how much of a big deal those are to kids, like the the branding and um, and like how like it becomes a part of your life. You like take it into your home and, you know, it's something that you signify with an experience that you that you went to. And it's just like these like it's how meaningful these pop culture artifacts are in our lives and how branding is able and marketing is able to to really do that. Um, and I don't know. It just strikes me as dystopian. I feel like mm. seeing this movie to me was, 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 I, I can't fully articulate it yet. Uh, but I just feel so like so many people are loving this movie and I can't understand it. I feel like I'm at a loss and I feel like seeing this movie was simulating dystopia. And yeah. like seeing these artifacts in in cinema in in the concession stand, all this stuff, you know, it's just like almost self parody. I don't know. Well, it, it's just that the film almost ceases to feel like a future dystopia. It feels like the here and now at the moment. Like it is, it, it's it's terrifying to me in many ways. Where it's just this worship of the past and this lack of new ideas and this addiction to escapism and a world where most of your comfort comes from something being sold to you. And it, it feels like I'm living in it. And that's, that's not prescient on Spielberg's part. That's not at all. It's just, man, things are fucked and this does not help. No. And and, we, sorry, go uh, ahead, Steve. I was just going to say like, People were like, oh, well, you know, the book sucked, but if anybody can can do this, it's Spielberg, and he'll work at Spielberg Magic. It's like, no. The only person who could make this work is, like, Paul Verhoeven. That's the only person I would trust to do this movie. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. There's, yeah. there's something really telling when, with a straight face, this movie tells us that the villains are this evil corporation. And one of the things that makes them evil is that once they take over the Oasis, when they find the keys, and the Oasis is this beautiful pure place and once they take over the big thing they're going to do the evil thing they're going to do to the oasis is they're going to put ads in it and it's just like are you fucking kidding me like what am i watching right now like what the fuck is this? and the whole that's Man. what the, the whole thing is it's like a giant advertisement for shit that you're nostalgic about it's it's complete insanity and, and just the and, fact that, like, they emphasize that over the fact that they were literally enslaving and killing people to, fu- to like, do things in the Oasis to help them find these keys. Like, that's downplayed so they can be like, ooh, and then we'll put ads all over the Oasis. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, they wouldn't you. want to pollute the beauty of the uh, true free market, unregulated free market that is the Oasis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it- <laughs> It's such a wonderful fucking paradise where there's like work camps (laughs) that corporations run to drive people to the ground. And it's fucking commerce. It's not paradise. Listen, man, keep your gulags, but like don't put like billboards in my game. That's all I'm saying. I remember remember when Minority Report came out. Like, I don't know. What was it? 2001 or two or something. Um, 
by Steven Spielberg. Uh, and I remember like that being like product placement being a huge part of that, like Aquafina and Lexus and Pepsi, like um, Rolex, uh, Samsung, I think. Um, all of those were sort of like very much foregrounded. And I remember at that point, um, you know, being uh, much younger than I am now, being like, oh, God, this is so stupid. Um, and it is. I mean, it's whatever. But it kind of almost in, the, in that movie, it, it it makes a bit more sense, I guess. I mean, it's still a bit transparent, but it's like, fine, it's stupid. Uh, and you can kind of look past it, especially in hindsight, after watching something like this, where it's just like, holy hell, at least at least Minority Report had like anything to say it's not a great movie by any stretch but um i don't know uh i feel like this movie didn't have anything to say but it sure said a whole hell of yeah lot. yeah but uh but my or uh cuff we were talking about um you were talking about the uh sort of the, the the way he he goes through the video game at the end and, and sort of like the stakes and i found it so funny that that the last thing where the stakes are really high. It's like climactic thing where he's almost done and he's about to sign the contract. <laughs> he's about to sign the contract. And uh, he's like, wait a second. Garth, Garth Jobs wouldn't, didn't do this because he lost so much money. And he's like, yes, I just had to be sure. And we're like, holy, oh, God, phew. He could have lost millions of dollars. And... <laughs> It's like, this is the, okay, the movie's framework is about, like, Cincinnati, Ohio, like, working class people. Columbus, Sean. Sorry, I got that confused because um, I I was like, I wonder if Steven Spielberg has ever been to Columbus, Ohio. And I looked up Steven Spielberg, and I said he's born in Cincinnati. And in my mind, uh, my feeble mind, I I got them confused. But um, I, so I'm still wondering if he's ever been to Columbus, Ohio. Um. But uh, but yeah, it, it, the the framework is is, is 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 these people in this very poor uh, um, neighborhoods uh, with housing on top of each other, and, and it's a very dystopian thing, whatever. And you have to think, or I, sorry, you don't have to because many people don't. I can't. I can't. Like, there's something. I'm getting to the point. Maybe this is my cynicism. Um, overtaking me in my old age, but like, and and I'm sure forebears have said this that you know it, it, it's it's really increasingly difficult to have uh, political messages or even moral messages in capitalism in 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 like capitalist art, um, and something like this especially sort of like sort of epitomizes this idea where like for me i can't not think that steven spielberg is a a billionaire and he's one of the founders of dreamworks skg like he has so much fucking money he has more money than any of us can conceive of he has like 3.9 billion dollars or something like that and 
he's making this move. It, 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 it's, it's like spitting on poor people. Uh, like to think that he has any, any idea what the weight of these images of working class people mean, let alone their stakes and how they feel about this fucking gamer boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's what I said to Sean when we left the theater was like, y- y- you know, what's a great idea. Give like the wealthiest filmmaker in America a, a film about essential, ostensibly not not essential, ostensibly not actually <laughs> uh, about the proletariat uh, rebelling against this uh, vast corporate structure. And oh, it's laughable to look and, at. Yeah, then make it a, also make it a uh, two hundred million dollar film and <laughs> steep it in this uh, Reagan era. For this Reagan era nostalgia, it's just like everything is dripping with all this capitalist imagery. Everything is like this golden heyday of the fucking free market. It's a celebration of the free market, and it's couched in this tale of like, well, we got to rebel against those money grubbing suits. Not not us, the ones who are selling you this film. The other ones who are meanies. And then, what's the end result of this film? That he, well, a he has no hero's journey. There's no evolution in the character. When uh, Artemis asks him early in the film, like what he would do if he won, his his answer is like, "Well, I'd buy a big house and blah blah blah," and and she's like, "Well, that's stupid." But did did their goals ever really shift? What what was their goal in the end? Just to control this video game? Who gives a tin fuck about your fucking video game, man? And in the end. You would think this movie's building toward an ending where when he has the option to take over the company, he's like, no, this belongs to everyone. But that's not what it even fucking does. He just splits it between him and his four fucking pals. It's like, what? Yeah. What a, what a great fucking message. Well, I didn't take it all for myself. Just me and my four buddies. I got to rule with an iron fist. And, As the world crumbles I, around us. I fucking decided it was a good idea that to unplug once in a while because I'm a fucking crusty old man. And I, so since I decided that in my life I find it beneficial to not be plugged into the Oasis 24-7. So because of that, I'm going to instill these rules on you in your life because if it works for right. me, it's bound to work for you. Uh, it, it's just the most dunderheaded nonsense. It, it, it's the antithesis of – Anything progressive. It, it, I fucking can't stand this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Myros almost had an aneurysm, due in part, partly to uh, doing part to um, uh, another movie that we'll talk about la- later. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, think- I I also want to talk about sort of the weird gender politics of the movie. Oh yeah, I was going to uh, say we need to touch on the fact that our protagonist in this film is absolute trash. He has zero redeeming qualities. Um, but yeah, this, this he movie... He has zero charisma. Yeah, zero charisma, too. It's like, <laughs> he's not even a pile I, of shit with, like <laughs> yeah, with a personality. Yeah. It's not like, I don't like you, but you're fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's, he's, he's like Michael Rappaport <laughs> smushed together with, with like Shia LaBeouf, but <laughs> like without able to talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, Master Thespian Ty Sheridan, uh, but he plays uh, Parzival slash Wade, uh, our, our main character. But okay, so in addition to not giving a fuck about the world around him, uh, also it, it goes without saying that because he's a fucking dunderhead moron, 
uh, not once but twice, he seriously endangers a bunch of poor people. Uh, the first time is he basically gets his uh, guardians, his his aunt and and her husband killed, along with presumably dozens, if not hundreds, of other people. After uh, one of the like trailer stacks is bombed because he's a fucking moron and he gives out his full name, his actual name on the, in the Oasis. So oh, really, Steve, that's okay. They were they were just fucking trailer trash. Yeah, they were trailer trash. So that and that's the other thing is it's, it's somehow he's not he's not part of he, he thinks of himself as different. You know, oh, I'm not part of this underclass of people. I'm somehow better. So fuck them. They all blow up. And then again, at the end of the movie. Because he hasn't caused enough violence, uh, him and his friends are getting like rammed by these corporate guys that are driving cars, and they're they're trying to get away in this like ice cream truck, basically. And uh, so he brings these these fucking armed thugs who have been trying to murder him. He drives them straight into the heart of of his neighborhood, the stacks as they're called. So he just drives them into the trailer park. He's like, "This is the only place we can go." No, fucker, go to the cops. Go literally anywhere else. Why would you bring just insane violence on a on like a marginalized community of people? It doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> he is fucking trash. And he the other thing is too is his personality and the way that he deals with women uh, and, and the whole relationship arc in this fucking movie, it's like every single fucking video game virgin boy who has never left their parents' basement and has no idea how to interact with other human beings. It's their idea of of what, like, uh, interacting with a woman in a relationship with a woman oh, is. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. It's fucking disgusting birthmark jesus piss okay so uh, yeah let's let's talk about that (laughs) before we get to the birthmark i just want to say i just want to say that the first time that this main that artemis is that is that the character yeah that's the girl's name yeah Uh, art three miss art three miss um the first time that she pops up in the game she like they end up like in a like he saves her off the bike of course because he's he's an ally and he saves her life, and then um, she lands on top of him with, like, her ass up in the air. Like, the most weirdly sexualized thing. I'm like, immediately, like, how old is this uh, this this female character in the video game? And, like, I, it, the whole thing about the outfit, I don't know. It just was so weirdly grimy. And, of course, like... You know, in the game, she probably designed the character, but we all know that, you know, there was uh, a guy named Ernest Klein behind it. Um, but, uh, and then they meet in person for the first time, and yeah, he, she's like, uh, oh, you probably don't want to see my, my face. She's like a, she's like a, uh, she thinks she's like a, a Russian peasant who's been, you know, eating dirt for three decades. And, <laughs> Yeah, and and, and he's, she's like, he probably can't stand to look at my face. He's like, what? Uh, what? What? And I, I think I can probably deal with this. And he like parts her hair, and it's like this. It's just like, like a mild skin discoloration, <laughs> mild birthmark mm-hmm. over her eye. And it's worth noting too that the actress who plays Artemis, uh, Olivia Cook is mm-hmm. very like if you were to make like a checklist of conventionally attractive 
white woman. Like the, she, she that that's what she is. Like she is everything that you associate with just generic, conventionally attractive woman. So the fact that they put this slight skin discoloration on her, and then our our you know amazing hero, old Wade, is just like, it's okay that you got a fucked up face. I still think you're cool. Like fuck you, dude. Go <laughs> fucking like, oh eat some God. cyanide, you pile of shit. Yeah, and uh, and that's not even I, not even to mention that like this this character is he knows Artemis for all of like ten minutes it seems and he's just like hey I think I, I I love you and here's my real name and blah 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 it's like pump the fucking brakes you dweeb you're endangering people what the fuck are you doing <sighs> yeah he met a stranger online he has no idea who she is or if she's even who she says she is and he's saying I love you and telling her giving out his personal information in this dangerous web zone. Yeah. It's and, and, uh, so baffling. It, <laughs> uh, I, sorry, go ahead. There's just so much. Well, and, and Sean, you know, I, I think this is a good transition here because, um, you know, when we talk about Ernest Klein, uh, writer of Ready Player One, uh, you, you really do see his idea, uh, ideas around women and, and gender politics and, and how relationships work and, and how everyone should worship the ground that he walks on. But what a lot of people don't know is before he became an author, before he started writing screenplays, Ernest Klein was a slam poet. Okay, if, if this guy couldn't be worse. And that's the thing. The more you read about Ernest Klein, the, the more you learn. And then you're like, wow, there are so many layers. He's like an endless onion where you just well, peel it back know. and it's all shit. So, Sean, would we you all know? Okay. America's greatest screenwriters cut their teeth in slam poetry, Steve. That's true. My, that's my mistake. That's my mistake. But, Sean, you were kind enough to dig up one of Ernest Klein's uh, slam poems. And this one in particular is about, is about women, I believe. Is that right? I will not take credit for digging this up. This was Myros's... Uh, that's his Myros legwork? Went on a, my, Myros like, went into the microfiche looking, uh, looking for Ernest Klein. Um, yeah, that, I, I it just made me feel negligent because the internet's onto this guy, and I had no idea. I didn't know what I was walking into with Ready Player One. I, I thought it was just another fucking movie. I was like, "Wow, oh, Spielberg! This will be kind of fun." I didn't know what the fuck this guy was, and and I feel ashamed because, like I said, the internet's—they're on top of this fucking piece of shit fraud and. Uh, before Sean reads it, I just want to point out that uh, not only is not only is Ernest Klein a slam poet, he is uh, like a national champion of slam poetry, whatever the fuck that means. But nonetheless, <laughs> he's considered like the pinnacle of the genre in like two separate years, which is uh, saying something when we get into this poem. So, so yeah, he, he he's a he's probably a mentor or uh, an idol to such such acts that mean Cuff knew well, mm. uh, like kinetic effect oh, fuck that god i that's um, a, that's okay. one thing you know people are like oh you should go to college and i'm gonna say actually don't you're just gonna get a lot of student loan debt and you're gonna have to watch a lot of slam fucking poetry that sucks just don't <laughs> don't go to school just drop out uh, all right should i read this yeah go ahead give uh, us a dramatic reading okay. sean do you want do you want us to like hit some bongos or like what do you want us, you, what do you, you want from us i got bongos. i got you i got you okay. right. go ahead nerd po- i'm not gonna do the character i'm just gonna read it because, yeah, this is a public record. Um, Nerd Porn Auteur by Ernest Klein. I noticed that there don't seem to be any porno movies that are made for guys like me. All the porn I've come across 
was targeted at beer-swilling, sports-bar-dwelling alpha males. Men who like their women stupid and submissive. Men who can only get it up for monosyllabic cock-hungry nymphos. <laughs> with, gargan- with gargantuan breasts and a three-word vocabulary. Adult films are populated with these ca- collagen-injected, lip- liposuctioned women, many of whom have resorted to surgery and self-mutilation in an attempt to look the way they have been told to look. These aren't real women. They're objects. And these movies aren't erotic. They're pathetic. These vacuum-headed fuck bunnies don't turn me on. They disgust me. And it's not that I'm against pornography. I mean, I'm a guy. And guys... And guys need porn. Fact. Like a preacher needs pain, like a needle needs a vein, guy needs porn. But I don't want to watch this misogynist he-man, woman-hater porn. I want porno movies that are made with guys like me in mind. Guys who know that the sexiest thing in the world is a woman who is smarter than you are. You can have the whole cheerleading squad. I want the girl in the tweed skirt and the horned rimmed glasses. Betty Finnebowski, the valedictorian. Oh, yes. First, I want to copy her trig homework. And then I want to make mad, passionate love to her for hours and hours until she reluctantly asks if we can stop. What? Because she doesn't <laughs> want to miss Battlestar Galactica. There's a very ill-advised line break there. Um, also, yeah, okay, ill-advised line break. Honest question. I don't know if the guy's married or, uh, you know, what his, his yes, deal he's is. Married. He's married? Okay. Because I was yeah. going to say, I, I, I refuse to, <laughs> I refuse to believe Ernest Cloud has ever felt a touch of a woman. I, there's, there's no way. It's not possible. It's like, <laughs> well, back to the poetry. Go back. To, I'm sorry. Yes, we have more. Summa cum laude, baby. That is what I call erotic. But do you ever see that kind of woman in a contemporary adult film? No. Which is why I'm going to start writing and directing geek porno. I shall be the quintessential nerd porn auteur. And the women in my porno movies will be the kind that drive nerds like me mad with desire. I'm talking about the girls that used to fuck up the grading curve. The girls in the Latin Club and the National Honor Society, chicks with weird clothes, braces, four eyes, and 4.0 GPAs, brainy, articulate bookworms with Mensa cards in their purses and chips on their shoulders. My porn starlets will come in all shapes and sizes. My porn starlets will be too busy working on their PhD to go to the gym. I'm in my kind of porno. Movies the girls wouldn't... In my kind of porno movies, the girls wouldn't even have to get naked. They, that's that that's not a sense. porn. Then that, yeah, that's kind of antithetical to the whole point <laughs> of pornography. Take the yeah. guys, they just take the guys down to the rec room and beat them repeatedly at chess. Is that, wait? Is that how Ernest Klein finds sexual satisfaction? Like he just fucking? No, guys need porn. He already established this. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. But this is this is his porn. So his porn yeah. is a girl beats well, him in check, porn is very chaste, and he yeah. just fucking busts yeah. nuts all over the chessboard. Is that? Uh, we need to workshop this with him. Um, <laughs> I think I think his kind of porn is where the guy prematurely ejaculates before the clothes come off, and then it's over. 
and then, and then she plays chess on the computer. Uh, okay. They, they just take the guys down to the rec room and beat them repeatedly at chess and then talk to them for hours about Heisenberg's uncertainty princi- principle or the underlying social metaphors in the Aliens movies. Buy stock in some hand cream companies because there is about to be a major shortage. And I'm not just talking about straight porn. Oh, no. There should be fuck films for my nerd brethren of all sexual orientations. Gay nerd porn flicks with titles like Dungeons and Drag Queens. Wait a second. Okay. (laughs) What the fuck? This idea is a fucking gold mine. I am going to make millions because this country is full of database programmers and electronics engineers. And they aren't getting the loving they so desperately need. And you can help. If you're an intelligent woman, if you're an intelligent woman is interested in breaking into the adult film industry, and if you can tell me the name of Luke Skywalker's home planet, then you are hired. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you think you're overweight or unattractive or have a birthmark on your face. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're beautiful. You are beautiful. And I will make you a star. Holy shit. I didn't finish this before. I like I, I hadn't read more than the first stanza. <laughs> but that is the coda. And I will make you. And I will a make you star. star. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, this is this is about him like uh, seeing a girl with glasses and a fucking tweed skirt and being like, mm, "Can't wait to control you in my own personal fantasy." Uh, a couple things, guys. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. let's start with the fact that uh, a the way he's describing his his ideal woman uh, is uh, kind of coded towards uh, pubescence. <laughs> You know the the braces and pigtails thing. Not exactly uh, marks of adulthood. Uh, I don't know if I'd be advertising that. That's how I like my women. But beyond that, the guy the guy's posing as this ally. He's well, like he's like I'll come in I'll come in during your lunch hour and take you to chess club. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't write this, but he was 14. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Also, again, he's positioning himself as this, as this great ally, who's a, and he he refers to uh, traditional pornography as misogynist, uh, he-man, woman-hater porn. But in in a previous paragraph, he's he's referred to these women who are uh, maybe not by choice working in the sex trade as uh, vacuum-headed fuck bunnies and not real women but objects. Uh, so <laughs> literally objectifying yeah. women, <laughs> like, in, yeah, in the clearest sense. This guy is. <laughs> oh my also, god! Also, I'd just like to point out that he's he's also had his hand in, in two major Hollywood productions, and has yet to to cast a woman who's not a traditionally uh, beautiful <laughs> starlet type. You know that where yeah, are these no, uh, where, where are these every women? <laughs> Yeah, you know who else promised women roles and trade to trade for sex? <laughs> Fucking Harvey Weinstein. Yep. Yep. Oh, you mean the, you mean the man who produced his his first? <laughs> exactly. This guy uh, is Dana Carvey Weinstein. That's who he that's is. That's pretty much it. I feel like I before we move on to to his first film, which we will. I I just want to talk. I think we still have some stuff to cover for ready. Play. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about how this movie fucking destroyed my brain. I, I can't get past sure. it. I uh, I think that 
again, I, I feel like this guy is exactly what the industry is. Now, this is what blockbuster filmmaking is. They're all made for this fucking guy. He he seems ubiquitous. He, it feels like he's running pop culture at the moment, and it, it's insane. It is just maddening. I, I, I think after seeing this, I am done. I, like, literally can't can't do blockbusters anymore. I can't fucking go see another Marvel movie. It's just, it's over for me. Like, yeah. I, I've been, like, every time I go see one of these the past couple of years, I think it really started prominently with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's just, like, I keep focusing on these sort of underlying messages. And in, in Guardians, it was, there's always something being sold to you. And it's... It just seems increasingly insidious to me. And people talk about Ready Player One like, what's the Black Panther for nerds? It's like, fuck you. <laughs> fucking, fucking Black Panther's the Black Panther for nerds. Every, <laughs> every fucking third movie that comes out in the theater is for you, Ernest fucking Klein. It's just like, how, how has this fucking happened? Finally, the even... nerds have had their day in the shade. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's, it's over for me. I feel like this movie signifies to me that it's, it's time to put it all away. Like I, I need to dig my old fucking He-Man action figures out of storage somewhere and, and just like throw them in a bonfire. It's, it's time to fucking cast aside your Star Wars and, and your fucking Spider-Man. No more. We, we, we've got to move forward. Yeah. Otherwise, we're this. <laughs> no. Yeah. I just this want to is, say this is your this is your this is I mean it's Easter and everything. Uh, this is like your your what uh, what is Sermon on the Mount? Kind of, yeah. I feel like I I need to say it. It's just I can't believe how fundamentally I feel like this movie has has done me in. Like I just well, I was surprised. It's so transparent. It. it feels like the absolute fucking nadir of blockbuster filmmaking to me. Like I've yeah. never seen a worse a commercial film. art. Right, yeah, like a more transparently is... fucking commercial, disgusting capitalist blob. And fu- I, I want to say, gentle listener, if if you saw this movie and said, you know, this really speaks to me, I just I just want you to go ahead and take out your fucking Batman ankle weights and and wade out into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> This is like so. The people are saying this is like Spielberg's mo- like he, a return to form for his browsing blockbuster movies and Spielberg I think we can say he's arguably the guy who sort of defined what a summer blockbuster movie is but this does not feel like it has his touch at all this is a filmmaker completely on autopilot he shot the requisite scenes and then just threw it all to the animators to paint the world around the characters uh yeah I I did mentioned this on Twitter and I, I he reminded me that that like the the title card for Ready Player One. It's just like a, a white text on a black background placeholder that they never got around to animating. It's it just a, such an indicator of such a gross lack of imagination that Spielberg or, or effort that he put into this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Parzival yeah. has to win, win the first race by just driving backwards underneath <laughs> the, the, the cheat code. It's a meta text, Jake. It's a yeah. meta text. Fuck your meta text. He's driving backwards over all of us. We're all yeah. driving backwards. Man. <laughs> no, I, 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 that's kind of what. That's, that's what I kind of. 
That's kind of what I was implying uh, by saying that, like the, this this metaphor about like uh, watching uh, uh, something that Spielberg, uh, a game that he created on demo, is that it, it really is just sort of like this auto autopilot autoplay. You know, it's just like um, the character dynamics, the the character setups, the way they interact with each other, the way that they mean things to, to the audience, the, the way they telegraph things to the audience, the way that they're they're uh, in constellation with secondary characters. It's all so rote. I it and maybe like maybe this like Myro said, it's just like sort of hitting a breaking point or it's just like this confluence of things that were just like grating, you know, like it was just like on a nails on a chalkboard to me but like i can't understand grasping this movie everything is just so rote or worse than rote and just like so ugly i i i don't know i don't i don't understand it yeah i i like i casually joked that if they said spielberg birthed the blockbuster that this was like his attempt to kill it and (laughs) It's not going to succeed in that, and I, it, it certainly wasn't his intent, but I'll tell you what. It succeeded for me. I, I'm fucking done. I, I can't. Well, you were talking about, like, we were we were arguing offline about uh, what's the worst blockbuster, because you said that it would probably be the worst blockbuster ever, and, and you know, when, when you say that, you have to, you have to um, imagine that there's, like, this strong canon of blockbusters uh out there or you know or or like not sorry the opposite of that you have to imagine that there's just like this mass of of shit out there and uh blockbuster just like absolute you know dregs and you look at it and you know there's a lot of bad stuff but you're like okay what's the worst what's the worst blockbuster and i think we kind of unanimously well you and you 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 said three hundred, but um, would be one of your contenders. But uh, I, I think that we could probably come to some sort of unanimous decision that uh, like the last three, at least maybe four Star Wars movies um, would probably have Star Wars. Or sorry, God, it's all the same. Uh, Transformers. <laughs> uh, the last four Transformers movies. Yeah, there were probably some some listeners who just like had a heart attack for a second. Um, yeah, Miss Klein just fucking blew it all. And he's fucking premature ejaculated again. I mean, well, the, what? And, and I hadn't really thought about this, but what, finishing that thought was the last three, at least maybe four Transformers movies, would probably be like sort of the litmus test, or, or sort of like that what it's up against uh, as the worst blockbuster ever. Because um, you know, you think about the old ones in the '90s, and you think Waterworld and 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 Wild Wild West, and uh, you go or Speed Two, Cruise Control, and and for so long those were cultural punching bags, and you know you go and watch them. I've watched two of those in the last couple of years, and they're fine. <laughs> they're bad. They're shitty, but they're not like eye repellent, and uh, um, they're you know they're stupid. But um, but the Transformers kind of. Uh, were like one they they sort of led us to this point this ready player one point this this whole like culture of consumerism as content thing and uh um it's those movies are absolutely awful but i gotta i mean they they don't take themselves so seriously and and like they don't think that they're 
I, I guess I, I've only seen like three of the first three, but there's at least a sense of humor there here and there. And like the stakes is like, uh, he gets the girl at the end and it's just dumb. And there's weird jokes in there that are sort of kind of perverse and in weird ways. I don't know. What I'm saying is like, they're not as despicable to me as this. And I have no defense for that. Well, I maybe that it's is a, the worst blockbuster ever. Maybe it's as much marketing as it is uh, content, but to me, I don't watch a Michael Bay film and and walk out with like a disquiet in my soul. He's not exactly. he's not saying anything. I feel exactly. like it started more with the Marvel stuff, where it, it's got this like embedded nonsense. They're always selling you something that's missing in your life. They're selling you this representation. They're selling you this false family because lord knows that none of these things are acquitted to people in modern society and it is it it just grosses me out i i walk out of the theater and need to take a shower and i never i i wouldn't feel that way if i watched transformers 2 that's not gonna fucking happen it's a dumb loud abrasive movie but it is just noise this movie's not just noise there's something else here (laughs) something just vile yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's not like we can't say we didn't see this coming, though, um, because I told Myros, I was like, are you I was like the cynic of the group is is on board for this because I, I wasn't, especially yeah. when I heard that Van Halen's jump uh, was was featured in the film. Um, I tried and... to convince myself. I tried to. I was like, yeah, Spielberg, how bad can it be? Oh, God. Oh, Ernest Klein is poison. I, I was out. And it's the first thing you hear in the movie, too. Yeah, yeah it's literally the first thing you hear. Uh, now, if if we would have dove into Mr. Ernest Klein's filmography before going to see Ready Player One, I, I think we all would have universally chosen to avoid Ready Player One. And that's because there is a movie yes, that exists... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Steve, real quick. Should we uh, touch upon the Shining scene before we move forward? <laughs> oh, God! Okay, okay. But I was gonna, I was gonna intro Ernest Klein's first movie, but g- give me the Shining scene real quick. All right. So at one point, to find the second Easter egg, they have to go into the film of The Shining, and basically everything, every review I've I've looked at notes this as the high point of the movie, and in some cases, people are saying it's one of the best points in Steven Spielberg's career. Um, and I'll I'll admit the the look. <laughs> The look at the scene threw me for a second because when I heard they're going to go into The Shining, I thought, "Oh, it's going to be a gross computer rendered version of the of the film, The Shining." But no, it's just the actual. It's The Shining with these grotesque CGI characters painted into it, yeah. and it, it immediately I decided I wanted to watch The Shining instead. I want to walk out of this theater and go yeah. do something else. Yeah. It's terrible. It's, it, it honestly. Yeah, when you're watching like a B movie and the characters are like sitting, they like have the TV on in the background and it's playing some movie you really like, and you're like, "Well, this is a terrible decision." Now I just want to watch that movie instead of this fucking pile like, of shit. I'm- like, don't look yeah. now in three billboards. Um, but uh, also, what that what that scene kind of. Uh, sorry, I brought up three billboards again, Jake. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but what that scene kind of nailed home to me. 
because it sort of like goes on to this like they're going through the maze, like going through one set piece after another, trying to trying to to escape these axes and whatever. And uh, it it really hit me at that point. I was like, this the whole thing is a Universal Studios. Uh, experience or ride or whatever. I guess they're not like I can't really call them ride, but you know when you go into like a theater at Universal Studios to see Terminator, whatever the hell it is, and it's like this this exhibit, and that's all this is is like this moment of uh, trying to be this like moment of escapism that really has no A B C plot. Like it, it, it has like the the plot complexity of of a Universal Studios exhibit. And more than that, like it, it makes for an interesting analog because of how those things exist. Those those rides or whatever at Universal Studio, Universal Studios. Ready Player One might as well just be like an exhibit where you you go into Universal Studios or whatever the hell company Disney, and you you pay uh, an absurd amount of money, and you get to like ride all these these brands you get to experience all these brands that you have associated different parts of your life with. That's all this stupid movie is. I will say it probably gave me, uh, the greatest moment of pleasure I got from this movie because I could just envision, I, I guarantee they must've gone to Jack Nicholson and he must've <laughs> just told them to fuck off. And, and that made me smile a little. He, he probably like just declined. He, he hit, he hit the side on his phone <laughs> and it declined. <laughs> <laughs> He Ernest declined. Uh, all right, boys. Uh, let's. We got to move on. Uh, we've we've been going on this for a while, and I definitely want to touch on Ernest Klein's first movie before we wrap things up. So hopefully we can we can get through it pretty quickly. But as I said before, if we would have watched this prior to seeing Ready Player One instead of going in, in reverse order here, I really believe we all would have skipped this movie and saved ourselves just a lot of emotional trauma from watching it. If you're wondering if there's something that's potentially worse than Ready Player One, but covers basically the same ground, it exists. And it's called Fanboys. Myros... Uh, you, should, you should give it its proper title. What is that? Uh, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey... <laughs> uh, presents... Uh, a, a, a Harry Knowles film. Uh, yeah, and Harry Knowles. And Harry Knowles presents Fanboys. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> And that's not a joke. Uh, that's that's. Th- no, these are I wonder all... if this has like the most participants in the Me Too movement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it actually might hold that record. That's entirely possible. <laughs> what the fuck is fanboys, Myros? Fanboys is uh, it's like the worst Kevin Smith film ever made. It's just um, a bunch of B-list Apatow cronies like getting together and uh, making a shitty road trip film about uh, trying to break into George Lucas's home to steal an advanced copy of The Phantom Menace. Mm. Uh, and there's lots of era-appropriate... Well, it's not even era-appropriate. This movie's way more recent than it seems. It feels like a movie that should have come out in, like, 2001. Uh so there's lots of, like, that era, like, Farrelly Brothers era gay panic, like, strewn throughout this thing. And it's just a really gross, nasty film. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's pretty disgusting. And it, 
the cast is just oh my god there's so many people that are just slumming it in this movie or just horrible actors that i don't want to ever see everything about it is is absolutely appalling but it covers this same ground as ready player one where it's basically just saying um you know there's there's value in being a toxic idiotic pile of shit and that you know with, with no character attributes outside of interest in pop culture yeah and i don't think ernest klein understands this that like liking a thing isn't a personality trait you know if if you go hey what's the best thing about your friend myros and i go oh he likes star wars what the fuck does that say <laughs> about you as a person that's just uh, a, that's 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 your consumption habit consumption is not part of your i mean is that your personality no, no, it isn't. You, you could it's say, Ernest Klein's well, personality. You might as well say uh, he he likes hamburgers. It's no fucking different. That's it. It's, doesn't say anything about a person. Mm-hmm. And also, another thing with these movies too is, and, and this is part of like nerd entitlement and, and how that's kind of running rampant through uh, both Ready Player One and fanboys, is it makes it seem like liking Star Wars is something special, and it's like okay, guys, so. If we look at the biggest movies of the last decade, what are we looking at? It's superhero films. It's fucking Star Wars movies. It's Transformers. It's it, it, go down the list, and every single Power thing that Rangers. you see, everything that you see, is going to be just shit that nerds are like, yeah, you know, this is our nerd stuff. Like, all you normies don't get it. So fuck you. You like the most popular shit of all time. There is nothing special about you except that you're a fucking insular moron who enjoys gatekeeping for other people in popular culture. Go get fucked. That's... It's a nightmare world, I'm telling you. Some Somewhere along the line, fucking Ernest Klein's of the world took over culture, and it's a fucking cancer. <laughs> yeah. It it truly is. God damn. So uh, yeah, fanboys. Um, I I don't know what to say. The only thing I can say is, you know, I just joked. If you're like, oh, you know, uh, what what's tell me something interesting about Myros, and you're like Star Wars. If you're ever on like a date or you meet someone for the first time, and before you really get to know them, they're you're just like, oh, so you know, uh, what's your favorite movie? And they go, fanboys. Like normally, there's there's acceptable answers across the board. You, you can like fucking anything. If the answer is fanboys, just fucking leave. That that person is not good. If if you are a woman and you're on a date with a guy and he tells you that, you need to get out. Just get out. Just run. Immediately call an Uber. <laughs> this movie is not okay at all in any way, shape, or form. And it's it's even more toxic in its portrayal of just how these characters deal with. I, I don't know any other human being and it's super homophobic it's super sexist it's just fucking grimy as shit it's not funny either there's there's no humor in this it's just fucking trash from start to end and, and here's what it reminds me of when you live in some like shit fuck town all right or a small city like let's say you live in Des Moines I don't know watch someone from Iowa actually Des Moines is a lovely college town we have a great bar scene uh, if you live in Des Moines and oh, oh here comes the Des Moines Film Festival or here comes the fucking you know whatever uh, the Billings Montana Film Festival there's always always and you can check this out like I live in Milwaukee same thing you go to the Milwaukee Film Festival there's gonna be one of these fucking movies some dipshit engineer 
who has a lot of cash and plays Dungeons and Dragons with his buddy on the weekends, decides that, well, you know, I've always wanted to make a movie. So he self-finances some shitty little indie film called, like, Oh, Lord of the Dingalings, and it's about, like, three cosplayers who like to go to the Ren Fair, and then they, you know, stumble into a mystery. And th- that's what this movie is. That's what Ready Player One is, like, the mega-budget version of it. Fanboys is the, like, middle-budget version of it. But there's all these fucking nerd movies where they're just literally just jerking off that's it that's that's all it is it's fucking jerking off <laughs> i'm sorry i'm a little upset can you guys tell i will say i i watched i i watched you guys uh watch this movie in the thread all separately and <clears throat> neither of you made it 30 seconds without freaking out <laughs> it was horrible uh, the, all right so so ray player one the first thing you hear is jump by van halen uh, <laughs> oh, this has a it has a <laughs> it begins with a Star Wars crawl, and then the first thing you hear is fucking Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, also also to give you an idea of the creativity at work here, like Jake said, the first thing you see is a fucking Star Wars crawl, and and it says, "A not so long time ago." In a galaxy not so far away. <laughs> it's funny because it's it's just you know. Yeah, that I think my favorite is the second Star Wars crawl where they're like fucking Danny Trejo is inexplicably like become fond of these imbeciles and giving them like peyote, and then there's just a Star Wars crawl for no reason that says, "I am really high." I'm like, what the fucking hell? Kill me. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's not okay. Uh, yeah, the the yeah. centerpiece of the film is probably when they like have that big brawl with Seth Rogen and his Trekkies, uh, because I don't know why, but they they just are like oh, Captain Picard's a fag, and then they, they, they just <laughs> like that's literally the line. Yeah. yeah, no, this, these guys are talking about their balls and dicks and saying fag and trying to use the force to get women to take their clothes off. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun time in it's, 2018. It's super, super sleazy. Yeah, there's nothing better. Yeah, like that's the whole thing with the woman. Uh, the whole movie. Yeah, played by Kristen Bell. And it's great, too, because not only are they like, you know, he's trying to use Jedi mind tricks to make her shirt come off. But on top of that, there's this whole scene. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not seriously. And, and this continues this like hack the movie. She at one point they explained to her that she's not a girl. You know, it's like, no, you like cool stuff. So you're not like actually a girl. It's like, what the fuck? Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, not woman. to mention that, that she eventually falls in love with Jay Baruchel, even though uh, throughout the majority of the film he's engaging in like a cyber relationship with a 10-year-old. And then in the second act, uh, picks up a hooker. And so in the third act, she realizes that he's the man of her dreams. Yeah, it's the guy she's always wanted. Yeah, so <laughs> feel your brain melt. Uh, Ernest Klein is cancer. He's fucking cancer. He's a cultural uh, malignant pile of shit. Yeah, that'd be uh, fine if he was like a couple cancer cells, but somehow this tumor is spread. Man. No, it's it's like uh, oh here I'll it's do a, I'll do a pop vital organs. I'll do a pop <laughs> culture <laughs> reference. That's how you do this, right? Okay, so you guys remember the movie Akira? Perhaps you remember it from Ready Player One, where it was referenced. <laughs> So there's that there's the giant monster that they fight that's like a big like blob tumor thing that just consumes everything around it and uh, that's that's Ernest Klein that's it that's all he is I don't remember uh, the yeah. movie Akira because I'm not one of these fucking Ernest Klein anime nerds yeah you're not some weeb what, you know um 
I was thinking a little bit about Back to the Future. Um, remember that? I, I remember it. <laughs> um, you know the scene. What is the cafe? Pepsi or whatever. Uh, what's the What's the cafe? Eighties uh, cafe. Eighties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeez, yeah. you guys don't. You guys obviously don't remember. I that. don't remember things. <laughs> Uh, Cafe 80s, which is like basically he steps into Ready Player One. Um, and it's like Michael Jackson and Pepsi and all this stuff. Uh, I was just thinking about that, you know, thinking about other movies like Last Action Hero that, that sort of have some nostalgia baked into them. And Back to the Future, at least, it's, it's played quite funny, funnily and, and also is like juxtaposed with a real dystopia that is part of the text. Um, but, uh, there's a moment in Back to the Future 2, where they're having dinner uh, at his mom's house. And she's, it's my favorite line in the movie. And she's making dinner and <laughs> delivers the pizza. Do you guys remember this part? Yes. Nope. Yes, I do, actually. I know what you're talking about. Uh, and he goes, and the, the brother or one of the other guys goes, you sure know how to reheat a or <laughs> You sure know how to hydrate a pizza, Ma. And I feel like that moment is Ready Player One fan reaction. Like, this is the transaction. Is taking this pizza, hydrating it, giving it to people, and they're just like, oh, this is this hits the spot, Mom. Oh, God. Well, there was a equally clever uh, reference in Ready Player One where he purchases an item called a Zemeckis cube. Oh God! Uh, oh yeah, real Zemeckis. Yeah, remember and, Robert Zemeckis? He directed <laughs> Back to the Future. Uh, yeah, and this cube makes you go back to the future. Or something. You'll be happy to know that Ernest Klein. There's a DeLorean too. Yeah. Ernest Klein is the guy who in real life drives around a DeLorean because. Uh, are you fucking die. kidding me? Oh. I just oh, can we just throw him in a wood chipper, please? I, that's <laughs> I mean, all I like wanted. If I, ever, if I were ever in the same room as him, I, I feel like we both just spontaneously combust because we're like <laughs> opposites. <laughs> <of meeting>. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. Yeah. laughs> we just dissolve into nothing. So maybe I should maybe I should work on that. <laughs> yeah, just get in the room with him, man. Like, just fucking throw yourself on the sword here, dude. Just do it. Do it. You got you to save the world. Saw, if Myra saw a beautiful one with a birthmark, you would probably spit in her face. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Oh, all right. Nice character. We got to wrap this up. I've, I'm emotionally drained. Uh, I would like to murder Ernest Klein. I want to I make Ernest Klein into sausage and feed him to a dog. Um, with that, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm going to put over a little movie called Thoroughbreds. I thought you were going to say Ready Sorry. Player One. Starring the aforementioned Olivia Cook, who's in Ready Player One, but she's uh, much better utilized in Thoroughbreds. Uh, she Thoroughbreds. She she well, she doesn't have a birthmark on her she's face. Got a so I, I didn't, face. I didn't want to light the screen on fire because of the atrocity I was watching. <laughs> but uh, it stars her, and I'm blanking on the other actress. I think her name's like Anya Joy Taylor, the girl from The Witch. Uh, they play a pair of adolescent teens and estranged friends. And uh, Olivia Cook goes to Anna's house to as a tutor, and uh, she finds out that Anya's 
she's very wealthy, but she's become increasingly unhappy with her life and her stepfather. And uh, so they plot to murder her stepfather. And it's very, uh, very wickedly funny, as the posters accurately say. It's very, very sharp. All the performances are top notch. And it's it's also very theatrical in that it's namely just set almost entirely in this giant mansion. Um, and, uh, and Anton Yelchin pops in at, uh, for the, uh, for the very last performance of his career. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Thoroughbreds, go check it out. It's a really good sit and, uh, probably the best movie I've seen in theaters so far this year. Sounds good. Uh, Sean, how about you? What are you putting over this week? Um, <clears throat> I am putting over the commentary, the DVD commentary, <laughs> not, not Showgirls. Oh, you fucker. Uh, I am putting over the DVD commentary for Pedro Almodovar's Volver. <clears throat> Volver. Uh, his 2006 film starring Penelope Cruz. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, and I just, I, I was like, oh, I wonder if uh, there are commentaries on these on these uh, Almodovar films that I have, and uh, looked, and sure enough, um, the commentary is Almodovar and uh, Penelope Cruz, and it's I. It was just such a life affirming two hours to spend listening to them talk. Um, it's mostly Almodovar talking, sort of just takes over, but and Cruz is is kind of like watching and then chimes in with stuff or responds to him, and, and they talk a little bit. But um, they have this beautiful. Uh, he has sort of a paternal relationship with her, and um, <clears throat> that's that's quite moving in itself. But um, also, he uh, just talks about uh, the movie. He talks a lot about characters. Like he talks the entire time about um, character motivation and sort of giving the the viewer insight into like character's motivation this is what i was thinking about this character what they were going through and just sort of it's just like talking about the subtext of every scene um and so it's not just like him dicking around about about production quality and all this stuff and and telling stories uh it is just really like involved in the story that he told and um uh one of the really uh more interesting takeaways is um he's talking about different scenes where big stuff happens um and instead of showing the big stuff like like we we understand something big has happened and instead of having his camera show us the events or the aftermath he lets these actresses tell us through each other what has happened like we basically are learning about about the um the narrative through these uh relations with these women one to one to each other um, and he's just talking about how much he trusts actresses to talk to the audience and tell us. And, and I don't know, I just found that to be a really beautiful thing um, that I think is really uncommon in movies that I've seen today that just sort of like, it's true that idea. Um, and I don't know, this just sounds like me fanboying out um, uh, Ernest Klein style, but um it's it's just a really beautiful thing, and 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 I I have gushed about him time and time again, and it probably won't be the last. But uh, that is a very good way to spend two hours if you're interested at all in that movie. All right, I yeah I actually I own that movie, but I've never 
uh, listened to the commentary before, so good to know. That's great. Uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm dead inside. I, <laughs> I had a hard time putting over much of anything, but I uh, I was just going to tell tell the listeners to burn their comic books. Uh, it's time. <laughs> yeah. It's time we move on. But, uh, you know, I figured I'd at least look out for the slam poetry fans out there and uh, and tell them to, to check out a uh, – remember remember King Missile, guys? Yeah, I do. I do remember King Missile. <laughs> I also remember King Missile. Uh, check it out. It's slam poetry that is not uh, a pile of misogynistic tripe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he ever mentions Batman or – Superman or Spider-Man mm-hmm. or George Lucas and uh you know that that's good. We could use some of Dude, that. Dude, King Missile, that's that you you're digging deep for that one. That's like uh there's all these songs when a popular thing to do on Napster when that was when that first came out was Remember people, that? I do remember Napster. Uh they people would would like misname so, like they would they would rename songs into something else or they would get an artist wrong. And detachable penis by King Missile was always attributed to Weird Al for some reason, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because it's similar. like, yeah, very very similar. I, you, why, like, and, and I don't even know why. It's just like they both funny make music like that. That's the the fucking caveman brain that that decided that. So it must be Weird Al. He only funny man. Okay, well, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed because I, I thought you guys would would all put this over, but. You know, uh, I'm going to put over Ernest Klein's book of poetry, uh, which is titled The Importance of Being Earnest. I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> it's titled The Importance of Being Earnest. Oh, my God. No, importance don't. Being Ernest Klein? Yeah, The Importance of Being Ernest Klein. Uh, I'd that, like that, to write my own book entitled The Importance of Fleeing Earnest. Yeah, that that would be better. That, that would be a, a, a book that I would read thoroughly and, and take notes on. No, Ernest Save Cinema. Ernest Save Cinema. <laughs> oh, how about Ernest Goes to Jail? How about Ernest Scared Stupid? That'd be good. Uh, no, I, I just... Let's just go through them. <laughs> let's just go them all, yeah. yeah. Ernest Goes, Ernest to, goes Africa. to Africa. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe he stays there and stops making movies. <laughs> I'd like to slam dunk Ernest. That's for goddamn <laughs> Yeah, Ain't that the truth. Slam poetry, Ernest. Uh, <laughs> Ernest Big Top. I'm going to end my life. Okay, no, don't don't watch anything, read anything, engage with anything by Ernest Klein. Uh, what you should do, though, is there's a new album out by Amen Dunes called Freedom, and it's really, really good. If you like kind of weird, down-tempo pop music uh, with just bizarre instrumentation, it's fucking great. Check it out. It's good stuff. Myros won't like it, though. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening to the op cast. Uh, Jesus, if, if you want to talk to us, if you have some thoughts on Ernest Klein, um, yeah, why don't you share them with us? We'd love to read your, your thoughts on air, especially if you try and defend him, because we'll dunk on you all day. Uh, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at OptimismVaccine if you want to get a hold of me and uh, specifically you know, call me an asshole for, for hating all the gamer boys. Uh, at Steve Cuff, that's at Steve C U F F. Sean, where do we find you on the internet? At Mr. Glennis. All right. Uh, Jake, how about you? Where do we find you? At Jake Tropila. All right. P-I-L-A. And uh, Myros doesn't have Twitter, uh, but you can find him in the Oasis under his uh, avatar. <laughs> uh, it's it's Fuckboy. Uh, the, the O in boy is actually a zero, though, just in case you were wondering. So uh, hit him up in the Oasis. Other than that. I or why? <laughs> 
with an I. Fuckboy always with an I. You know that. It should Come be on. a one, you know? Yeah, maybe it should be. <laughs> Have you thought about changing it, Myros? Uh, I was taken. Oh, He's there we go. That explains cachet. it. Already Ready taken. Fuckboy 01. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back as long as you know we don't die from our brains exploding. Remember King Kong. Remember Ferris Bueller. Remember War Games and Back to the Future. Remember Tomb Raider. Remember Weird Science. Remember Battletoads and the Iron Giant. Remember Star Wars and Transformers the movie. Remember Ghostbusters. Remember the Goonies. Remember when neon used to be trendy. Remember the Where's the Beef Lady from Wendy's. <laughs> Remember Akira? That's from Japan. Remember Galaga and Mrs. Pac-Man? Remember Contra? Remember Street Fighter? Remember the A-Team? Remember Knight Rider? Remember The Simpsons, seasons 1 through 9? Remember logging on to America online? Remember Highlander and Highlander 2? Remember Star Trek? We certainly do. (laughs) 